Good morning, it is Tuesday, April 14th, and this is Community Pulse, KOPN's grassroots report on the coronavirus outbreak here in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse live at this time every weekday morning at 9 a.m. here on KOPN, where we provide updates on local public health information regarding the coronavirus from a unique community radio perspective. And if you happen to miss any of our episodes, you can find them online later in the day on our Facebook page and on our website, kopn.org. A big part of this program is, of course, your involvement. So if you have a question for us or for Dr. Alleman regarding the coronavirus situation, you can reach out to us at 573-874-1139 and leave us a message, or you can send it in an email to me at gm at kopn.org. We want to hear from you, and as we accumulate questions, uh, we will take stock of them, and uh, we may share your questions and respond to them in future broadcasts. Again, the number to leave a message is 573-874-1139. Joining me by phone, as usual this morning, is Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, local family physician and host of Your Health Matters. Good morning, Elizabeth. How are you doing today? Good morning, Tim. I'm doing great. The sunshine is helping so much. Um, yeah. Uh, so much grace in having these hard times come when the weather is uh, sunny and getting warmer. Indeed. Uh, I'm being fed a lot by the sun and the garden mm-hmm. and the outdoors as well these days. Yeah. So I want to start out with the numbers this morning. Um, 1.9 million cases in the world. And again, we're probably undercounting by a factor of 10 to 20. Um 121,000 deaths, uh, 454,000 recovered in the world. In the United States, we're uh, approaching 588,000 cases. So again, we're running about one out of four documented cases in the world in the United States, even though we have like one out of uh, 10 people live in the United States in the world. Uh, 24,000 deaths and 32,000 people recovered in Missouri. Again, using Matthew Holloway's numbers, we have 4,500 cases with 139 deaths. And in Boone County, we have either 82 or 84 cases, again, depending on whether you are following Matthew's numbers from last night or the City of Columbia's website um, this morning and one death in Boone County. Um, The available intensive care unit beds statewide, 32% are available, and uh, 59% of the ventilators are available. And that shows an increase of 12%, and it's not clear to me whether that's continued increasing capacity or whether we um, are able to, we're getting people off of ventilators and they're becoming more available. And that's an increase in availability of ventilators. Right, increase in availability, Mm -hmm. right. so, and then um, what has come across my uh, social network, both in person and uh, virtually, is a concern a lot of people have about whether we're, how we're counting cases and deaths. And um, I, I think that there is a lack of understanding about um, how in medicine and epidemiology we think about the cause of death. And what we know is that death is rarely caused by one thing, that every part of your body was healthy until suddenly you died. And that can happen in, say, a car accident or a gunshot wound or even sometimes in a heart attack or somebody having a a hemorrhagic stroke. But more commonly what happens is, especially in the elders, people's bodies start to deteriorate and they have less and less reserves in their lungs and their kidneys and their livers. And they get an an illness and then they have more difficulty recovering from it. 
And so, for example, recently the musician John Prine has died, which is a great loss to us artistically. He um, was a long-term smoker. He um, had had surgery for lung cancer, which from which he had recovered, and then he apparently got a COVID infection and died. So the question is, did he die from tobacco abuse? Did he die from lung cancer? Or did he die from COVID infection? Or did he die from all three? And so we talk about causes of death as, you know, death being related to or caused by, and then whether those things were caused by a thing. Um, so often there are several lines in, on a death certificate. And the truth is sometimes it's a mystery. We don't know what it was, was the thing that caused a person to die. And so we do our best. So death certificate data, um, when people are doing studies about it, are considered, you know, it's helpful and it sometimes points direction, especially if there's big patterns. But it is not considered the end all and be all of the best um, data that we have. We want to we want to have that based on randomized controlled trials for interventions if we can and the, the, have those be large. But there's been a lot of people who are concerned that we're overcounting the COVID deaths by um, saying that something was associated with COVID and that somehow we shouldn't be including those deaths. And um, I think that uh, we are also under, we, that may be true. We We very well may be counting people as having died from COVID when really that wasn't what the case was. So, for example, a person gets diagnosed with COVID, gets told that they have COVID disease, they um, drive to the grocery store and are killed in a car accident on the way there. Um, that could be coded as a COVID-related disease-related death in part because we don't know whether the person got so upset they drove off the road, whether they decided that they would rather die in a car accident than do that, or whether it was totally unrelated and it was just a fluke. And that's why I think that we really need to collect all the data and just see whether there's a correlation. If if the deaths in car accidents after a diagnosis of COVID is 500 times as the, the background death, then we probably ought to look at that. And if it's not, then we ought to call those not related. But right now what we're in is a somewhat of a chaotic situation where it makes sense to uh, cast a wide net and make sure we're not missing any patterns. The other thing is we're almost certainly undercounting as well. We don't have the test that we need. There's some concern. There's a lot of people who are wondering about all of this influenza-like illness, fever, shortness of breath, and cough that was happening around the country in January and February. I think that was probably not covid disease, but um, there are some people who are wondering if it was. We didn't have any testing. We can't know. We still don't have an antibody test in any significant number, so we can't go around and test those people and get a clear idea about that. Um, so those may be undercounted. There's been a, a significant increase in some people's um, noting of the number of people in New York City who've been found dead on the street or found dead in their homes. And again, we don't have testing, so we don't know whether those are COVID-related deaths or not. So um, I think that there are, I'm just going to say that if your source of information is talking about miscounting and only talking about overcounting or only talking about undercounting, probably someone has a political agenda. Um, and I'm going to encourage you to look deeper and to um, keep that as a question in your mind rather than um, taking that as a sign that um, we're all being fooled, that we're being manipulated. Uh, clearly, something remarkable happened in Wuhan, China, and in Hubei province that required them to build 2,000-bed hospitals within a matter of weeks and fill them up. Um, 
And something remarkable has happened in Italy, in Spain, and France. That um, So if we've got an extra 22,000 deaths, maybe we've overcounted half of them. We've still got an extra 10,000 deaths in the United States. And this thing hasn't spread through the entire country yet. So, um, so that's what I want to say about that, that counting deaths and the cause of deaths is complex and nuanced, and that the people who count them know that they are doing their best to deal with it. Um, and yes, we'll probably do some overcounting and some undercounting. So that's what I want to say about mm-hmm. that. And I, you, I, have, I have heard of scenarios where, say, people, uh, quote-unquote, officially recover. They get, they're sent home, and then maybe they, they pass away two weeks later. Um, and would that be a cause right. of death from COVID-19? Right. It's, yeah, it's complicated for sure. It is complicated. And then all of these things are going to affect this calculated death rate, which we argued about a lot in the beginning of this. Like, is it worse than the flu? Is it better than the flu? Is it, you know, I, I think it's just another bad thing and flu is terrible. And another bad thing is also terrible. Um, and I, you know, right now we're sort of in a bit of chaos. And so counting these numbers very carefully is going to be difficult. Um, and that these, many of these questions are for a later time. But I understand that people are wanting this to drive our question and our decision about when do we um, resume um, uh, commerce, basically, and uh, social engagement. And those are complex questions. Right. We're all hungry for the data that we can use to make decisions about how to move forward. Right. But we don't right. we don't have that all unfortunately. Right. So so now that we've said that the data is unreliable, I want to say that it's exciting to me that it appears that in Missouri and in Boone County we have indeed flattened the curve. And we seem to have flattened the curve before we overwhelmed the statewide uh, hospital system. And this I mean I we we're, we're just at this moment. We, we don't know where we're headed. Um, but if we can keep that trend, it means we, we have done that thing. We were all chanting, flatten the curve, flatten the curve. I think we may have done it. And it is no time to let up on the things that we did that flattened it. Now, it, did we do too much? Maybe. You know, we can't really know if we did too much. We can know if we didn't do enough. Um, and in the early days, it would seem clear we weren't doing enough. We still are, you know, there's going to be a lag. So what is actually going to happen to our hospital capacity is still a week or two ahead of us. And so what we do now will get manifested in our, in our hospital system in, in two to three weeks. So um, uh, these are promising numbers. Um, the, the tale is still to unfold, but we're not seeing the exponential growth we were seeing a week or two ago. And that um, cheers me. Um, and uh, gives me a little bit of comfort. Right. So but we still, as far as that. what I've read, we haven't reached the estimated peak for Missouri. Is that... It depends on what you mean by peak. It appears that maybe the number of cases is leveling off. Mm-hmm. And we have increased testing. We're still not doing the testing we need to be doing. We're still testing around uh, seven or eight per thousand population, which is a tiny number, less than 1%. But... Um, but we haven't seen the peak yet in hospital admissions, ICU admissions, and deaths. So those are going to lag a little bit behind because, as you pointed out, some people are dying two or three days into um, – well, they're dying a week or so after exposure or two weeks after exposure. And some people are surviving another six to eight weeks before they die. So we – you know, it's going to be a while before we see the, 
the peak in the deaths and the intensive care unit admissions. But seeing the cases level off is promising. Yes, very promising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you wanted to talk about food and farmers. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little about food. It's it's something that we talk a lot about here on KOPN. We have a few great uh, food and agriculture-centric programs like Farm and Fiddle and Food Sleuth. And, you know, the food system, um, as, as many people are probably learning, uh, as we are <laughs> limited in how we can go into grocery stores and things like that, um, I think we are seeing... Uh, larger parts of our food supply chain becoming strained with shortages um, in mm-hmm. certain in certain instances. Um, but uh, at the same time, uh, I personally am finding resilience in small farmers and the farmers markets who provide um, not only often healthier and fresher food than say your average grocery store, but but much needed food security. And uh, the Columbia Farmers Market, for example, is still open. Here in Colombia, and uh, if you're mm-hmm. if you're a, a market goer, or maybe if you've never been before, I would encourage you to visit their website, ColombiaFarmersMarket.org. They've got um, all the detailed information about how they are still operating the market um, as we go forward. Um, now, in the stay-at-home order, the Colombia city officials uh, did announce that, along with grocery stores, farmer mar- farmers markets may continue to operate uh, because they're an essential business. They're uh, supplying food and Reliable right. access to food is, of course, a human right, and it's it's critical. It's a critical part of our food supply chain. Even though, in the big picture of things, it's small compared to these industrial aspects of, say, a, a food meat processing plant, something right. along those lines. Um, but they do seem to have more resilience because they are smaller and decentralized. And whereas a a large meat packing plant, for example, that we just heard about in Democracy Now. You know, they have workers working elbow to elbow, um, falling ill. This this isn't as common with the smaller decentralized food supply right. chains. So, And people can order in advance and have things uh, brought to their car so that they don't have to do the social exchange and the interpersonal contact that happens at the farmer's market. Right. They're taking uh, all of the appropriate social distancing measures. Um, You know, they're not sampling food anymore. They're encouraging just one person to go and do the shopping at a time. Um, Of course, gloves, food safety, masks, Mm -hmm. all of that. Um, So I know some people are nervous these days about going into a grocery store or maybe having struggles with delivery. Um, not being as consistent. So this is another local option, at least here in Columbia. Um, I did speak with one of our listeners in Jefferson City yesterday, and she said that there are a few options for farmers markets in Jefferson City. Um, Personally, I don't know as much about that, but for our listeners down that way, um, I would encourage you to reach out to the local markets and they can can put you in touch um, with farmers. And uh, I know in many cases, if a farmer isn't taking their produce to the market, they are doing uh, local pickups outside of the markets, right. which yeah. is so something are, that um, I have been participating yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people, some of the f- farmers are coming together and putting their produce and their um, their products together in, you know, a modified community-supported agriculture thing where you um, will bring you a box once a week. And they are, you know, really increasing the flexibility of that. The other place is that the other thing that people can do if for some reason direct interacting directly with the farmer isn't what works with you for you, um, the uh, 
local stores uh, like Clover's and uh, natural grocers sell a lot of local produce, as does the root seller. And those um, uh, retail outlets are available. And again, because they are local and small, they are able to meet people's individualized needs in a way that the larger um, uh, businesses have difficulty doing. Yeah. Not not saying that people shouldn't. Tri- I'm not trying to tell people where to to shop. Mm-hmm. It's just finding a place that fits your needs um, can be a little bit challenging. Right. I think we're all learning a little bit how to be flexible with our our shopping patterns and our our food patterns these days. And our eating. Yeah. And our eating, of course. Yeah. And I, I, I do know in some in some cases, a lot of these local farmers uh, they sell much of their produce directly to restaurants, which are now. Right closed. So they may be dealing with, uh, you know, rows and rows of radishes and lettuce that had planned to go to the restaurants, and now they have Mm -hmm. maybe no place to put it. And it may be difficult to transition that to, say, selling it straight to the grocery store, which maybe already has a supply. So, um, you know, they're adapting just like all of us in our shopping patterns. All of us are having to to figure out a new way to to do it. And um, this brings up a sort of a nice segue into tomorrow's show. Um, Dr. Chris Link, integrative medicine physician in um, Jefferson City and a, and a frequent guest on Your Health Matters, is going to call in tomorrow and talk to us about um, evidence-based responses to increase our resilience, um, to decrease the chance it will get uh, COVID-19 from being exposed uh, to the SARS-CoV-2 uh, uh, virus. And um, one of the keys I was reading through his notes that he's already sent me um, is a is a plant a diet that has a lot of plants and especially lots of vegetables and a few fruits. We they're recommending we shoot for nine to ten servings a day, which is a lot, um, and that we increase the variety of the vegetables that we eat. So we want to get it from as many different um, uh, plant families as we can. So. Um, this is a great time to be eating wild foods and having your own garden, but also supporting farmers who can grow um, a, li- a wider variety of food than sometimes is what we see in the in the grocery store. Right. Well, I look forward to that. And I do want to take this opportunity to mention that also tomorrow evening on Farm and Fiddle, another uh, food-related guest, uh, guest Jake Davis of the Root Cellar and Family Farm Action will be talking about the resilience of the local food system uh, at a time of crisis when uh, many of the giants have had to uh, slow down production. So um, there are government relief packages and you know big spending bills that help Wall Street food corporations with their lobbyists, but local farms depend on consumers to help. So to, to learn more, tune in to Farm and Fiddle tomorrow night. That's uh, Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. for that, right after Your Health Matters. Right. I want to plug Your Health Matters. Uh, it's a, actually a, a interview that I recorded, um, I think it was the last time I was in the station, uh, one of the last times I was in the station, recorded with um, Katie Bowman, who is an internationally known expert on movement, because movement is so important to our bodies, and she really expands movement from exercise or even physical activity, which I think will give us some idea about maybe some ways that we can help stay healthy even when we um, can't do our normal uh, physical activity. So I'm hoping that that'll feel like a a boost of um, opportunity for people. Yep, and that's tomorrow so. tomorrow evening at 6 p.m. here mm-hmm. on KOPN. Yeah.
And so tomorrow morning we'll be talking with Chris Lincoln. We'll be talking about uh, diet, uh, lifestyle, and um, uh, supplements and herbs that will help us stay healthy through this challenge. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Elizabeth. You're welcome, and uh, be well. You too. All right, that's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. You can catch Community Pulse every weekday morning at 9 a.m. here on KOPN. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow night to Your Health Matters at 6 with Elizabeth's guest, Katie Bowman, and following that on Farm and Fiddle, guest Jake Davis of the Family Farm Action at 7 p.m. tomorrow night. Coming up next is an abridged version of Background Briefing, followed by at 10 a.m., This Way Out and Wings. So please stay tuned. You're listening to your community radio station, KOPN Columbia.